This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. I asked. Chris asked for questions. You're getting them on this episode of Shake Them Ropes. This is the Jeff's out of town and can't record, so hopefully nothing big in wrestling goes down. Ask us anything episode. It's been a couple years since we've done this, so I'm kind of excited about it. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. What you need to do is you need to have banter that is timeless banter. Like, for example, Jeff, I'm really looking forward to the upcoming match this week. Are you looking forward to that? Are you enjoying the Olympics so far, Chris? Oh, yes. Sport (laughs) is very entertaining. I've got to tell you, there have been some surprising finishes in some of these events. And I can't wait to see how things pan out. I love the spirit of competition. In the event that nothing big happened in wrestling, you're listening to this show as it was recorded. If something big happens, maybe I'll come in and do a little short commentary on it. I want to give Chris a little time off as well. He deserves it. He's been working hard for the show. Uh, But this is the Ask Us Anything. It will be mostly wrestling questions. I'm not upset by that because we got quite a few questions. So let us begin. First question, and I apologize to those of you who did send in these questions. Um, I did not write down the names as I wrote my list down, so... I will not be giving credit for the questions, but your questions will make it on the air. This is for the STRM AMA. Do you guys think with the rise of the everyday man being the pop culture stars of today, do you see this as a negative on the media that requires outside the box creativity? If you look at rock music, movies, and wrestling, it all feels stale and lacking creativity. Is this a fear of getting canceled or just a general fear of pushing the envelope? I'm 37, and throughout my childhood and early adulthood, the anti-hero was, were top stars. Now it feels just like brands are the future, and it seems boring. Chris, what say you? Um, well, like, I think maybe we have a bit of a nostalgia for the 1990s anti-hero, which was, in a lot of ways, a manifestation of the uh the grunge marketing uh and and the grunge marketing sensibilities so you have grunge come out uh you know by grunge come out i mean like nirvana gets big pearl jam gets big i mean they are selling massive amounts of albums actually 10 outsells um nirvana's nevermind for a good solid solid clip there for a while um not not originally but in the united states um and i think that leads to like you know gap Remember those old Gap commercials that are all like, you know, I'm anti-hero, I'm anti-authority. Like, I think we look at the anti-hero archetype as authentic. And it's no more authentic or fake than you make it and who's making it. Um, Any more than the working class everyman. Um, The working class everyman can be very real and very authentic. The working class everyman can be very fake and very contrived. Um, without me getting into any examples. Um, like, I think, I think any of these things can be fake. I don't necessarily know that the nineties was more real. 
I just think it's a natural progression of all pop culture because I mean this has happened in wrestling too if you look at it. I mean we go from we go from say the optimistic heroes of say Superman and Hulk Hogan and you know all American you know mom apple pie American flag types and then we get into the cynicism of the 90s and stuff and then the anti-hero comes in so you get the Punisher you get Rob Leefield and the Venoms and the Carnages and, you know, the guy, the the cool villains who kill other villains to be cool. And on TV, you kind of get the same thing towards the turn of the century with um, with the Shield, with the Sopranos. Uh, y- you know, you get the, you know, not everybody's really good. We all have to have our flaws and we all are, you know, going into the seedy underbelly because, quite frankly, people stop being able to learn how to write heroes straight ahead and and villains are all more interesting because you don't know what they're going to do heroes are always going to do the right thing at the right time so it always became a little bit interesting there but then i think as we had all these anti-hero things become popular we then got into straight up nihilism and certain shows where it's just everybody's a bad guy type thing. You know, you have your Breaking Bad, you have Sons of Anarchy, uh, you know, uh, Boardwalk Empire, you know, everybody's... To a everybody's certain extent, a you saw that reflected in wrestling too, right? By the late 90s, like, everyone was joining the NWO and you had two different factions of the NWO. I think we look exclusively at the anti-hero hits um, and sometimes we forget about the anti-hero misses as well. Yeah, and, and I think what the everyman type of pop culture, I guess, is what you'd call it now, I think it's a reflection of two things. Number one, studios and content creators and things are scared to death of promoting a failure. It's all about the commerce thing, so they're really they're trying to find a, a set pattern. And if you saw Black Widow... All Black Widow is is a Disney film of of the modern genre in terms of Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and stuff like that combined with the Marvel Universe. It's, it's oh, I'm out of place. I'm going to go on an adventure with my wacky friends to try and find my identity. That's all it is. It's, it's, it's the Disney thing. I, I think it's part that, and I think it's just part, we don't know. I mean, it, it's trying to find a connection with it. It's art trying to find a connection with its audience in many ways because they don't know how to connect anymore because people are going to boo heroes for some reason. We've become that jaded of a culture. Although I think if you promote heroes correctly, people will, will buy into that. It, it, it's just a weird thing where, you know, people start to deconstruct it and, you know, you know, if, <laughs> you know, you look at a superhero and if it's the wrong uh, it doesn't have enough melanin in the skin. It's like, well, we can't promote that. That'd be, you know, that kind of thing in terms of the marketing part of it. But just from the creativity part of it, I, I just think people have kind of, they're trying to find how to write basic good guy, bad guy stories, but they don't know how to write good guys anymore. Yeah. And, and to me, in a certain way, the anti-hero was the beginning of uh, a concession that we don't know how to write a straight good guy, but we can write a compelling character and that compelling character can be an anti-hero. But, um, but you go through but you go through it over the generations, like in film, for example, like you went from the 1950s and 60s, especially you saw this in Westerns, 
you know, it was the straight up, you know, town sheriff's the good guy. And he's going to stand up to the guy coming on the noon train and all this. And then you got into the 70s or late 60s and you get those kind of anti-Westerns, you know, the, the you, you the, know what, though, the maybe, that Westerns. Speaks to a, maybe that speaks to a, a, a more interesting trend in terms of those type of pieces of art. Then that the late stage when when, when that pace of art like Westerns, like they kind of peaked. Um, in the 50s and 60s. And then you had that second run, that that late run with the Clint Eastwood films where you have a lot more anti-heroes. But that's sort of the last gasp of that genre. By the it, 80s and 90s, you don't really have Westerns like that. But the, the Western, the, the cynicism of the Western, then they, it kind of broke through and then it became the action movie with Stallone and Schwarzenegger. And, and that's the, that's the all-American good guy, blah, blah, blah. And then as we get into you know, the mid nineties and we start deconstructing every single kind of genre and it becomes more like inside jokes. Oh, is this the part where the sidekick gets killed type of type of thing? You know, everybody's kind of self-aware in it. And you have these things like the expendables, which is just, it's, it's just every cliche thrown into the same movie with everybody who's ever been in an action film. I think we're going to come out of it. So that's my problem, I guess, with the antiheroes is is it sort of means in a way this genre is dying. Like like once we've arrived at the point where the most viable lead character is the antihero, it means that we can't pitch you straight down the middle anymore. We're losing a little bit of power. So we're still trying to squeeze a little bit more juice out of the lemon. No, Um, I I would agree there. I want to hop on one other thing, though, because like we we, the question sort of like brought up music, movies wrestling and i i think maybe trend line to all of them in a way that i i would at least for my you know my other big passion in life which is music i would i would say like as a bit of a semi-music historian i suppose like i i teach a bit of music history i i would say i mean like the bigger issue with the music industry is one record company consolidation so in the 1960s, you had uh, you had a lot of regional record distribution companies, which makes a lot more sense for the way the music industry works. You have bands in your local scene. There's a local record company. That local record company helps get those those bands distributed nationally. They figure out which one of those bands has any sort of national appeal, if any. And then you have bands from Detroit, bands from Nashville, bands from uh, New Orleans, bands from Dallas, bands from Los Angeles. Angeles, bands from New York. And it's no accident that you have these scenes with these labels in the 60s, the 70s, all the way into the 80s. By the time we get to the 1990s, you have like sort of, there's an interesting thing that happens in music that makes the 90s sort of feel more real than it is, which is the major labels had bought up all these smaller labels, but they were trying to figure out how this grunge thing worked. So they were taking a lot of risks. I mean, the most notable one that I can think of off the top of my hand head is this band called Royal Trucks, T-R-U-X, if you're interested in listening to them. Cool, interesting band, weird, fundamentally unmarketable. And they got like their entire advance for their first like album or I think two and blew it all on drugs. Um, Like this is the real problem. With, yeah, this is the real problem with like, 90s grunge bands and rock bands in a lot of ways they convinced the major label companies wouldn't it be easier if you could just make your own acts wouldn't it be easier if you could just milli vanilla them um and so by the end of the decade you start getting 
in sync and pop and that sort of thing and like a real push to move people and acts like britney spears i know we're all like free britney now we're all on board with them but like i'm of the vintage where like britney spears was sort of like the hostile enemy and represented a move by the record industry to really push pop music and move away from these pesky rock bands that would want to do things like fight against Ticketmaster and maybe negotiate a little bit harder with the record label to have more creative control over their albums. Look, sometimes sometimes bands like the Spin Doctors shot themselves in the foot by making like the worst follow-up album of all time. Um, but, but other times, I think that push-pull was just too much for the record industry. And, th- and then there's one last thing when it comes to music. Um, By the late 90s and early 2000s, computer technology was available that started actually doing musical analysis and sonic analysis. And all of these nerds in their corporate boardrooms love to have like some sort of pie chart or Excel graph to show what, you know, why this piece of music is algorithmically viable. But as we know now, or as many of us are kind of becoming aware of, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, algorithms have biases built into them. And one thing that has happened is that these record companies have become dependent on a musical analysis system that tells them, hey, you know, the best type of chorus has four chords in it, um, has a repeating melody and a repeating line, um, and is fairly simple. Um, I like the song Blinding Lights. Uh, I really like the song. I teach people how to play the song Blinding Lights. Um, but Blinding Lights is a simple four chord song. Uh, but it would absolutely do very, very, very well inside of any modern music analysis software. Whereas the melody to Even Flow by Pearl Jam by Eddie Vedder, if Ed, if, if Even Flow did not exist, that is not passing any sort of computer analysis as yes history tells us that this is a good melody um because there's a wide range of songs from the beatles to the black sabbath to led zeppelin to motley crew where everyone sings no like everything about that melody suggests that it wouldn't be viable but the reality is is we all know that song we all like it uh or like like everyone knows it and everyone had a time at least in their life where they're kind of like this song's pretty dope. All right. Maybe it gets overplayed, but like it, it, it's a popular song. So I think increased reliance on computers, increased corporatization, decreased locality and a changing nature of the business. Um, and then last, but, but certainly not least the increase of online music piracy and music streaming and downloading. Um, it's no longer about selling records. Um, you know, I mean, a band like Metallica got big in the 1980s through bootleg tapes handing out tapes of themselves to everyone. And like, it's basically impossible to imagine doing something like that. Now you tell everyone, go to your streaming website, but you also kind of have like no hope of actually selling anything off of that website. You just have to hope people come to the show. So the models really change. And I think like, that's why indie bands can't really do it. And the only music that like really can get pushed is corporate music because it's so hard now for independent bands to really kind of make and distribute their own art. So I think it's a little different than the movie theaters. Jeff's answer for like, you know, movie studios and stuff. And like we were talking about with the anti-heroes and like, I think that's one answer. I would say that music's a little bit different. Um, and then wrestling is, is, is its own third lane. I, I, I mean, l- like on the answer with music though, I don't really think getting canceled 
comes up too much. No, well, I have thoughts. I have thoughts about music. Thank you very much. No, I, I know that. I, I thought you were going to a second screen. No, I no, I'm winded. I'm winded. I need I need a break. <laughs> okay, yes, take 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 a break while I tell you that uh, Spin Doctors died because that Two Princes song became way too popular on. Uh, no, no, adult, on adult bro, contemporary radio. Bro, no, 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 no. You, you have to listen to the follow up album. Oh, I did. Oh. It stinks. It yeah, stinks. he does I like the, the it's their follow up single. Like he's like step do lap did that bass you let dead like and that wouldn't pass musical <laughs> analysis software and also the people hate it. So sometimes the computers are right. Although I like or uh, I like the first album. Other than Two Princes, Two Princes is a dreadful song. I can't believe that became the big hit of it, but. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, next question. As dumb as it may sound, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Earthquake and his intro into WWF. It has to be one of the best intros of all time. Plus, that Bravo Warrior feud was fire. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good debut. Seemed obvious to me that John Tenta was a wrestler, <laughs> that this was going to be nothing but trouble. But, I mean, I was already a little jaded on WWF by the time I, that, that angle came in. But, uh it's a perfectly fine angle. It intru- it did what it had to do. It introduced a big major threat. Dino Bravo gets one over on, on was it Hogan or the warrior on that one? I can't remember that, but it took place in Canada. Yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a great angle. I thought. Yeah. Um, I don't really have intense thoughts about the John Tenta debut as earthquake. Um, I always thought that the just the drum beat was really effective. Like, like <laughs> no, no, I, I, I mean, like, it, it also felt like we were building to an intro that never came and that maybe if I listened to the song long enough, I'd actually, like, hear something happen. And no, like, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just... Actually, you know, the one lingering thought I have from that Earthquake debut is I'm, I'm looking at him and I just felt bad for the guy. guy. I go... Man, look at that huge guy having to sit in that small stadium seat. <laughs> but but when he gets picked, the joy on his face, he sells it 100%. And it's so great. He's, I think he's even high-fiving people. I didn't re-watch this for it. I'm going on memory. But, yeah, no, it, it it is the best of those kinds of angles. I certainly liked it more than, say, Santino Morella's debut, which was okay. But nevertheless, I mean, no, it it, it did everything it had to do to establish a new threat. For, for a baby face. So, so I dug it a lot. Um, I've got an ask me anything question for the guy who does wrestling in DWATG. I guess that's you. Does Trump use kayfabe to be successful? All politicians use kayfabe. It's all gimmicks. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, like, I'll start right there. You basically took what was going to be the first sentence uh, to my response on this. Like, like I'm sorry. Look, no, 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 you're fine. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, Look, all politics is narrative. Um, I, I mean, it, every... You... Your entire life, you whatever valence you are, you have been fed political narrative. Um, that is how politicians gain momentum for things. Um, that's how political causes gain momentum for things. Sometimes narrative is grounded in reality. Sometimes narrative is less grounded in reality. Um, I think when, like, to sort of kind of get into the actual question here about Trump and kayfabe, I think when we want to use kayfabe versus narrative or to distinguish that, kayfabe is like sort of like the overt spinning of an alternate reality or the overt creation of an alternate reality. Um, And so like the answer to that is at least for me, very obviously yes, but like, let me kind of embellish beyond like yes or no, and just leave it there and move on. Um, Kind of working backwards here. 
you know, Trump created a large kayfabe after the election, wherein he convinced people that enough tomfoolery and shenanigans had been done in enough key states, but only on the presidential side of the ballot, not to do anything with the congressional or the Senate races, um, that he actually won the election. Joe Biden lost the election. Um, And that constant pushing of that false narrative um, up to and including a rally the morning of one six, um, like that's a good example of kayfabe. Um, He sort of actually kind of renewed that a little bit further here in CPAC. So he's like still using it. Um, Going back during the administration, just like a couple of quick examples in 2020, um, he was pushing hydroxychloroquine. Uh, Like he, he, I mean, he was very, very into this notion that hydroxychloroquine was this real miracle cure and that sort of thing. That was a form of kayfabe. Um, you know, like I don't want to get in. I don't want to do the entire administration. I'll just rewind back to the start of the presidency on inauguration day when he delivered his like address after being inaugurated. Um, he asserted that it wasn't raining when it was in fact raining. Um, he had Sean Spicer go out and say this is the biggest crowd in the history of anything ever. Period. Um, you know, in the 2016 election. He was asserting as he was going into the final weeks of the campaign that Hillary Clinton was engaged in voter fraud and that if he lost, the only reason he lost would be because of voter fraud. Um, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Uh, he does it. In a, he does it in, a, in this sense. He engages in kayfabe in a way that is different than the standard political narrative like Reagan engaged in narrative. Obama engaged in narrative. Joe Biden engages in narrative. They all engage in narrative like obama had like in the white house they referred to a thing called the legacy checklist that is nothing if not narrative um the the job the presentation of reagan is very much a narrative sort of thing um trump discreetly lies and tells you it's raining when the sun is out and the sun is out and when it's raining so yeah the answer is he does use kfab Semi-political follow-up. What are your feelings on electronic voting via smartphone app? Do you ever see this becoming the norm? I'll start on this one. No, I don't. In fact, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna go back to possibly just paper ballots, not even scantrons, because I just think everybody on all sides is worried about different things from the John Kerry election, the Diebold machines. Oh, it's obvious that so and so is into that. To this year's crap i i just it's i think i think it's gonna be show an id get a paper ballot fill it out sign your name turn it in count them i think i think that's gonna be i think that's gonna be the future because i just think there's too many dangers with smartphone apps and hacking and technology and oh it didn't count my vote or it changed my vote or whatever i i just i don't see it happening yeah, I tend to think Hawkins is right that the weird nostalgization and like uh, assumed perfection of the paper ballots will ultimately sort of win the day. Um, I think that people who think the paper ballots is like surefire thing they can't miss, and you can always trust the veracity. Oh, I'm not saying. I'm not no, no, saying I'm not that. saying you are, but no, I, dude, I, the way I hear people talk about, I mean, whether we're talking about like Jill Stein. Or like Republicans now talking about doing the paper ballots and stuff. There's this way that people wax nostalgic about the quote unquote the good old days of the paper ballot that I do think is going to have a seductive appeal of like, oh, it's just simpler. But like, I mean, look, uh, I have studied my histories and, you know, know about lost paper ballots or like mysterious paper ballots showing up. Uh, Yeah, like like, it's, it's so... 
Um, what when I saw this question, I kind of like wanted to go another way because like my my gut answer on a practical level is like no i think like then you get into the nature of politics in this country and like would there ever be a path forward for this sort of like you know wholesale reform given our federal system without have to occur on the congressional and then also on the state level like it's complicated so then i decided to take this back to a like kind of like a a different plane which is like an abstract question of could it happen um and the answer to me is sort of like absence of our absent our politics could it happen the answer to me is so obviously yes um look if we can do banking on mobile apps if we can do banking online um clearly through the market we have found a way to do if if we trust managing our money on that big of a scale i don't think it's actually that hard for people to get into a room and figure out a system for all this to work um uh, otherwise all these mobile apps from all these banks are actually a load of crap and you should get them all off your phone um so i i tend to think i tend to think that there is actually a way to do it we live in a world in a political system where people aren't necessarily particularly interested in doing so um but but i think the answer is yes if people want to Top five buildings that you have seen a pro wrestling, sports, or music concert at. Bonus least favorite building. Now, I have years of traveling for college sports. And I have a few music things. Do you want to go first or should I? Or do we want to go one? one? I mean, I'm not, I haven't ranked them in order or anything, but I do have five in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I let, let's let's swap back and forth. So, uh, for me, the top music venue that uh, um I've ever been in is a place called Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. It's a theater okay. in the round. I know that it, one. Yeah, it's a theater in the yeah. round. It rotates. That's where I saw Fugazi. So it was like a, an intense, really like intimate performance. The band's rotating in the round during the show and stuff. So I mean, it was just. An incredible experience. The sound was great. Um, I got to see my favorite band. John Frusciani was like in the like VIP little area thing with a pineapple and a big bottle of vodka uh, and was wasted out of his mind watching Fugazi. Um, and yeah, dude, uh, great show. Uh, great venue. Um, I, I like the theater in the round thing. I like you're in celebrity theater. The whole gimmicks, you're, they say you're never more than 75 feet away from the stage. And that's true. My first one I'll pick is pretty obvious one, Staples Center. I do like Staples Center. I've been there for, I was a season ticket holder for the Kings for many, many years. Uh, I saw Prince at Staples Center. Uh, concerts, uh, the problem with Staples Center, and I've seen UFCs there too, and, and of course wrestling. I've seen a couple of Summer Slams there. Uh, the problem with Staples Center is, you need to fill that building with noise. And if you don't, it's like a barn. But if it's full of noise, it is a rocking place. And I, I I enjoy the layout of it. I don't think there's a bad seat in the house in Staples Center. So I'll go with that as my number one. Next up for you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I got to rep the American Airlines Center. I think it's easy to get in and out of. Um, I think that's... I agree. The- I, li- I liked it when I went. It's in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's got good access. I've been, I've been to other basketball arenas and I bet, I mean, I like having been to a number of them. I, I mean, yeah, the AAC is pretty dope. Uh, it's easy to get in and out. Um, it's inexpensive to get in and out. If you don't want to park, you want to take the train down there. It's like six bucks right now. Um, like that's not bad. Uh, and it's, it, 
it's just not it's not a pain to maneuver around the building uh so yeah i i'll go with the uh the american airline center my number two is going to be the norva in norfolk virginia little music club uh just a nice little intimate type of setting but you can also set up technology in there because they were burning discs of the show after it went and you could pick one up but uh i was in town for a wedding and uh the black crows happened to be in town and it was Mark Ford's uh, first or second show returning as drummer for the Black Crows. And uh, they tore the roof off the dump. And it was just a nice little, cool little venue. Easy to get to the bar. Stiff pours, which I always appreciate. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a, a real good time. Uh, number three for me is going to be Old Rangers Stadium. Um, Old Rangers Stadium ruled. Back when the Texas Rangers really sucked, they used to hand out tickets for free at the end of the season. And I got into, I got one set of tickets for free and I went, I started going to games cause I kept getting free tickets and I was just like, well, what the hell? I will keep going if they keep giving me free tickets to come. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun, nice kind of chill setting. Uh, not too big. I don't, I don't, I guess the running theme here is I do not care for the big experience. Like when we saw WrestleMania in Dallas here, um, even though I was in the lower bowl and I had quote unquote good seats, I wouldn't sit there and tell you, yes, they were good seats. I know they were like good seats, but I wouldn't tell you they're good either. But yeah, you know, um, I, I like stuff that's smaller. I like stuff that's a little bit closer on. I tend to too, but I'm going to give it up for a large stadium on my number three U S bank arena in Minneapolis where I went to see uh, the NCAA tournament. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value a complete view of all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at arena club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an arena club slab pack and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah, you can open it and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you 
have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. It's not built to be a basketball arena, but it did a great job. Concessions were clean. Lines were short. Seats were fairly comfortable. I dug it. That's all I want. I want a comfortable seat. That's all I want, really. So the next place did not have a comfortable seat, but when you mentioned concessions, what is the name of the place that we watched, like Riddle and all those? Uh... I was about to ask you the same thing, the one in Dallas. The, oh, uh, man. I'm, I I'm looking it up you. now. I got to tell you, that place, um, because of the barbecue stand, like the wrestling was good, but <laughs> man, brisket, that barbecue. The brisket nachos, and there is not a wrestling podcaster who wasn't there, who when you mentioned Dallas, doesn't look at me or we don't look at each other and go, man, did you dig those brisket nachos? <laughs> They, they like i mean i have I, what i'm talking about concession stand food top five concession stand foods of all my entire life not like mm-hmm. not even close um it, it, I, maybe maybe number one uh, certainly i'm certainly I'm, I'm like in the number one conversation to- yeah in the number one conversation so like for me um that was that was pretty baller because like look um like yeah, I want to watch. Ah, I got I got an answer for you. Eddie what? Dean's Ranch, and it is Eddie on my Dean's top five as well because yeah. that place is also kind of weird and kitschy. And Kota Bushi's jumping off the balcony in the six man at at the main event. Yeah, that's on my list too. So that was gonna be my fifth one. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's number four for me. Okay, so I I gave you Eddie Dean's Ranch as well. Uh oh man. Uh, give give another one because I I gotta think of one. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta get your number four in. I gotta get a number five in here. Um, all right. So if I'm thinking about number five, I gotta tell you when I first the I think it's called Chase Ballpark now. The Bank One Ballpark was what it was called in Arizona when they first opened it up. I went when like the Diamondbacks first started. I you know I know a long long time ago, uh, but like. I went to those early games and stuff when they first opened it up. And like, that was really kind of mind blowing because it was like, they air conditioned the desert. And like, I mean, it was really crazy to be in there and be like, this is really comfortable. Um, It's actually like, they have managed to temperature control a really, really large space. Um, like I couldn't, I couldn't believe they pulled it off. Is basically it was my thought. I mean, obviously, like you can think about the environment and all the other stuff, but like Bank One Ballpark was a pretty big deal for me. Uh, the Wiltern, which is a concert hall here in in L.A., always a nice. It's 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 kind of a throwback place. There's a there's nice big balconies there. Um, it's it's a little bit smaller than the Palladium, which is kind of cool, but the Palladium's kind of a dump. Uh, the wheel turns a little bit more classy. Uh, the sound carries really well there, and you can see any kind of concert there and not not be. Uh, you're never gonna feel 
crunched in there even if you're standing but you can also see music or comedy there so the wiltern would be my number four i think it is do i have one more to go no no you because your eddie dean is five so oh, eddie dean is five you're done, okay. i'm done uh, my honorable mention worst worst, go oh, with worst. i want to throw an honorable, honorable mention, mention. yeah ahead. my honorable mention real quickly is a now defunct place called stone deck pizza which used to let me play all the time <clears throat> um good food bad sound um but like i used to get the band used to get 50 dollars in comp food and or alcohol um and man for 50 dollars you could have yourself a very good time as a band um and eat well play well uh, they always let me play whatever i wanted to play so that was cool um worst venue that i've ever seen or i've ever played in or ever seen stuff in you go first uh, i have two uh, one from my wrestling music days and one from uh, college football days. Uh, the Richmond Coliseum is a dump. It is in the middle of a crime-ridden area. This, it, 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 it's just a cramped... There's no breeze going through that place at all. It is just a dump, and it's a miserable experience anytime you had to go there. And then uh, the city of Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, the entire city is, is just garbage. Uh, I went there for the independence bowl in 1994, 1995. Uh, the, it's basically a high school stadium. It rained the entire time. It's also in straight up. <laughs> let's put it this way. They're like, they're like condemned houses around the arena or around the stadium and the stadium's still the worst thing in that neighborhood. Uh, so yeah, that. I mean, I'm really racking my brain here for the like, the worst place I've ever seen a show. It, it it would I can give you a time. It would have had to have been in college, but like it might have been a house show. God, I'm just trying to think. Like, what? Where's the worst place I've ever had to play? Oh, I'll tell you the worst show I ever had to do was out on a sidewalk, and it was 45 degrees, and we were doing all this like technical music from video games and my hands were like fucking freeze <laughs> darning freezing as i am uh yeah 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 i yeah, clean that one up Bing. uh as i am uh trying to make my way through all these different songs like that that was pretty horrible um and we had to do two hours that night that stunk i didn't even count comedy venues because most of them suck anyway <laughs> Just there's one thing or another that sucks about every comedy club that I ever worked. Although I did work a strip club once. And if you know me, that ain't my brand of comedy. <laughs> hey, Chastity will be up next, but here for some esoteric humor, Jeff Hawkins, everybody. Yay. <laughs> I'm 19. I'm doing literary references thinking I'm the next Dennis Miller. Oh, what, what am I even doing on this stage? Uh, <laughs> These are more towards me, Chris, but feel free to enter in uh, these next two. Uh, hopes for suicide for the Suicide Squad movie coming out. Uh, longtime listeners know my love of Suicide Squad to the point where I pitched it in 1996. Uh, um, wrote a screenplay, the whole deal. Uh, it, I, I have high hopes for it. I think it's going to be very, very entertaining. I think James Gunn is a lot better than David Ayer. I it's not going to be the suicide squad I want because the, the, the one from the eighties was pure Reagan cynical politics type of thing and intrigue. This is going to be more for you comic book lovers. If you've ever watched, if you've ever read the second incarnation of the suicide squad book, which was written by Keith Giffen, 
he of the ambush bug fame and also the uh, what's known as the Bwahaha Justice League. Uh, he did a thing where, like, he was like, okay, it's called Suicide Squad. Why aren't more people dying? And so he used that for black humor, and people would die in weird comedic ways. That's what I'm expecting. Um, I know pretty much just from reading all the comics from the old days, I know who's going to die probably. So I'm not going to spoil that for you, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Chris, do you have any thoughts or no? Uh, you know, look, um, everyone is into different stuff. Uh, superhero movies and that sort of stuff just never really connected like on that deep of a level for me. So um, I don't have any thoughts because uh, I don't know. I, I, everyone, everyone hates how few Marvel Capcom universe movies I've seen. So I don't, I try not to bring <laughs> it up too often. Well, you're not going to like this next question then. Cause it's an MCU question. If you had to do a Thunderbolt, it doesn't upset dark- me. It doesn't upset me. If you had to do a Thunderbolts, Dark Avengers, and MCU, who are your picks? I just go with the straight-ahead story of the introduction of the Thunderbolts, who are really the masters of evil in disguise. I have, I find some way to get rid of the Avengers. I have these villains, turn, or these villains who are disguised as heroes save the day. And I do the first reveal is Daniel Brühl as Baron Zemo, who is great in the, uh, in the in the uh, Falcon and winter soldier show and i go from there i quickly introduce them and then i tell the story of uh how these bad people are dealing with being loved and whether or not they fall in love with being a hero and what their ulterior motives are i think that's the best way to go i go with the original lineup the the five uh zemo beetle moonstone songbird and fixer just make a simple straight ahead origin story i don't know the answer to this so were either of you ecw fans at any point Oh yeah, ninety three to to when everybody got raided in what ninety six or ninety seven. That's my ECW time. I loved ECW. I went to double tables up in Philadelphia, uh, eschewing a midterm, which they let me make up, but I made up some excuse for it. But uh, I liked Paulie's vision then of. Okay, I'm gonna take the best from Japan. I'm gonna take the best from Mexico. I'm gonna get all these underrated underseen guys that weren't given chances elsewhere. Cause like Benoit had already been in WCW for a short time and they didn't know what to do with him. So they let him go. Uh, you know, and I, I just liked, it, it felt like an old territory. Again, there were promos. You had your hardcore from Japan matches. If you wanted them, you had cactus Jack and the Sandman and Tommy Cairo and stuff, but you also had, and public enemy and Sabu, but you also had Taz and Malenko and Guerrero. And then the luchadors. And, uh, for me in the early days, bad company. And you had those guys who are in the transition, like Steve Austin and Ron Simmons and Matt Bourne for a very short time. You'd have these one-offs, which are just weird. Like what's he doing in the arena right now? Okay. I'll watch this. Um, but yeah, I, I was ECW up until, you know, up until really the Monday night war started. And then when they finally got to TNN, it just, it was, it was too much hardcore crap and there wasn't enough. I mean, the, the guys who were wrestling in there were still very, very talented. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the, didn't have the same vibe for me. Um, so yeah, but my, my, because I'm younger than Jeff here, I discovered ECW, I guess when I was nine or 10, so that'd be 95, 96. And I discovered it via the direct TV channel guide. Like we were able to search, you know, we had like satellite TV or whatever. 
And I like saw that they were running an episode of ECW television or, and I would watch it and there'd be like no context. And like the first time I saw Rob Van Dam, it was really sort of surreal. Like, like he just, he seemed like a comic book character or something like, and they did, they did a really good job with the music and everything that always made a big impression on me. Um, that like they were using real music and cool music and like, uh, you know, uh, filters, Hey man, nice shot, uh, was getting heavily, uh, getting heavily played. And then the one thing I remember, of course, is, uh, Joey Styles saying in the night, kimono, want to dance naked atop the ECW tower. Um, but, uh, yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like that is for me, will always be like, by a- the way, young Jeff big fan of kimono wanalea big fan <laughs> just gonna say that i was um a big fan of dawn marie personally yeah as okay. young chris yeah 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 mm-hmm. young chris liked liked him some dawn marie um but uh yeah no um like look i owned ecw's uh extreme music volume one i was really hopeful about volume two coming out but like many ecw things volume two never followed um i owned the video game uh, the ECW video game, which is probably worth some like decent amount of money now, maybe, or maybe it's one of those games that's worth nothing because it stunk, but like, I still owned it and I still played it. Um, like, yeah, no, I, I liked ECW. I, I remember when they went to TNN, I was excited only because it was going to be easier to watch them. Um, and, uh, my dad was like, never going to let me buy wrestling pay-per-views. So I'd have to watch everything way after the fact and you know like like it would be like reading yesterday's newspapers and at like the age of 13 or whatever it didn't have the same appeal because i didn't get a chance to watch it live yet weirdly i could watch all the old like summer slams from 1990 and never you know i was like oh this is great i can't wait to watch this again for the third time so about five left here we can get through most of these i think uh (laughs) this is so weird how would you book nxt to make it a better show you could mention who you'd see as long-term champions, but would make an interesting discussion or thought process. Uh, see, this is hard because let's talk I, about I, what NXT is doing wrong, right? Like, am, am I am I allowed to 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 break off NXT from the from anything Vince McMahon touches and do it? Because then, I, you know, I mean, everybody knows what I like. I like I like tag team wrestling. I like squash matches and I like slow builds to big events. That's what I do. I do mostly squashes and promos and I'd build feuds, but I'd have like, I'd like, I'd have like maybe, maybe one or two TV main events every week, as opposed to running through the entire talent week after week after week. Um, I I um... just go back to old school booking, but the problem is you can't book NXT anymore without. But so how I'd actually probably go in there is I'd go, hey Vince, what do you want out of NXT? <laughs> and and how can we do this without you screwing everything up? And I would actually make it an actual, you know, part of the extended WWE universe, like a comic book. I would make it part of the world, and I'd use the world, and I'd build NXT up with the understanding that Vince is going to use my work for future reference when he decides to use any of these guys. I think that's the number one thing that's sucking out NXT right now is you have all these great wrestlers. They're doing these dumb sports entertainment things that don't mean anything. And then they just get killed on the main roster. I, I just, I don't see why anybody would invest in it. 
Um, okay, so if I'm fixing NXT first, obviously just right about the Vince pitch. It starts with pitching Vince. Um, and what I would pitch Vince is that the reason that AEW is successful um and overcomes its Vince will Vince will go, but Chris, it's not successful. Uh AEW has the Kenny Omega pay-per-view sparkler spot and the Chris Jericho crash pad spot. If, if Vince is even aware of this. Like for this is like super Vince. Like he's very aware about the things in the world. Um in, in my version. Um he will counter with this and I'll go, yes, but what AEW is doing right is that AEW has stars like Adam Page, Orange Cassidy, Darby Allen young stars who are the next 10 years of a company and one of the issues the biggest issue that your company faces right now is a main event talent shortage and that's why you're calling back guys like goldberg that's why you're calling back guys like edge that's why you're thinking that hunter retirement match at age 55 and 2024 is really going to kick ass and people are going to be really into it no they're not um that's what like you can't keep calling back john cena forever eventually he's going to want to go and do movies or he's going to be done with wrestling like stone cold steve austin's done with wrestling um so i'd be telling vince the problem with this company right now is you don't have young talent um on the women's side uh you've got this young talent in zoe stark i really like her I think you should be pushing her. I think she's someone that you can build around. Um, I think she's got a lot of upside. You don't want to overexpose her. She's still a little green. But let's spend the next 12, 18 months pushing her in a serious way, arcing her up to a title contendership, and giving her the title for a nice, long, healthy, year-long run. Um, On the men's side, this is where the bigger quandary is. Um, I think you need some fresh people to push. Um, I think you've got a guy like Tyler Bates. Tyler Bates is is still young enough that he could be a generational talent, as can Pete Dunne. Um, I think both these guys still have a lot of upside. Um, I think another issue that I would tell Vince about NXT is that there are some people who we like and respect and even think are good wrestlers who maybe it's time to move on from. Adam Cole might be a good example. Uh, if you don't plan on calling him up onto the main roster and doing anything with the guy, he's sort of occupying a spot in NXT right now as an upper mid-carder, sort of in contention for the title, sort of not in contention for the title. Maybe it's time to move on from Adam Cole. Maybe it's time to move on from Bobby Fish. Um, maybe it's time to move on, you know, Gargano? from... Uh, Gargano uh, is a guy I'd think about moving on from. Um, I think, you know, maybe you can keep around Champa, Gargano, Thatcher. Um, but, like, I mean, really, I would thin things out. Um, you know, and then Kylo, look, I would have told you built around Kylo Riley, but, like, we just watched the cool Kylo push, and it was um, a lot of things, but cool was not an adjective that would come to mind unless it was prefaced with another word before it. Um, so... Uh, I think the men's side's tough. I think I think you need to start. I would think about look at the NXT UK roster. Um, Teoman's a guy who I think is interesting. Bring him over. You can't do anything with a lot of these guys tomorrow. You got like they need twelve months of developmental. But what I'd be telling Vince is you need to be thinking about NXT as a developmental product again, and you need to be thinking as the young hot stars of tomorrow product. And so, in order to do that, you need to stop crutching on NXT guys from yesterday. Um, the other thing is I gotta have the, I gotta have a guy like Teoman for eighteen months before he's even gonna be worth anything to you. 
Um, so like, don't rush and take him away from me. Cause you're not going to get anything out of the guy right away. Uh, we need to build him up and actually make him a hot entity in and of himself. Um, so like, these are the, that would be like the philosophical change. Um, I'm with Jeff. Obviously there'd be more tag team matches. I'd use tag teams as a way of kind of getting exposure for some of these, you know, younger talents and stuff. Um, built, you need a new young, fresh heel, like an MJF equivalent, um, in mm. NXT. So, you know, Cameron Grimes, great guy. I'd be building around Cameron Grimes. Absolutely. Um, like he could be a real interesting heel guy. Um, Rich Holland, uh, whenever he gets back, he's a real interesting dude. We haven't seen a lot of him yet. So it's not like he's been overexposed or anything. So if you wanted to push Rich Holland again, he'd be Chris, interesting. Chris, you want, Chris, you want timely commentary? He comes back. Uh, he came back two days ago. Do I want, who want commentary? Do you want timely commentary for oh, this show? Oh, he, he came back on Tuesday. Oh, did he? Of, of, of this, of this week that we are recording because of course we are recording, uh, in the future. Yo, interesting. <laughs> wow. I knew that because this is currently next week. Yes. And things were taped for sci-fi. Uh, who would, who would Jeff's new four horse women be in NXT? I dude, that was too natural to, to, to try and recreate. If I wanted to do a heel stable, some combination of Kaylee Ray, <laughs> uh, I would have put Dakota and, and Raquel, but again, we're taping this in the future and they've just broke them up and then probably EO Shirai. I would think, or Mercedes Martinez, one, one, four of those five would be fine with me. And then you do a slow build between them and EO, or you even put EO in there if you want. I don't care either way, but you, you, you build feud between Saray and uh, Zoe Stark, and then probably EO Shirai if you want her to be a big baby face, but if you want her to be a heel, either way, it's good with me. And then you just build this, these as two factions who... Just you keep them apart as long as you can, but you keep them or like they come out for each other's interviews or something as opposed to matches and matches and matches and matches where you just write it into the ground. It's just it's just overdone. Chris, you got a four horse women you want to go with? Um, If I was going to make a four person faction, I would go Mako, Saray, EO, and I would pair them with Ginny as the mouthpiece. Okay. Yeah, yeah, as the mouthpiece, as the one who who like tries to be the leader and try yeah, like as as the, as the maybe the red shirt too, the one who maybe takes pinfalls and stuff as well. Um but but yeah, I would have I would have those three and a mouthpiece. In another 5 to 7 years is WWE still making calls to Goldberg Taker and Triple H to main event big shows? No, they're making calls to Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, and Drew McIntyre to main event shows, and probably John Cena still, who will still be wearing shorts in a different colored t-shirt. Yeah, so, I mean, I think one of the biggest problems for WWE, kind of going back to my last answer, is that they've created a star desert for themselves in the last decade here. Uh, your two biggest, like, would have been stars, CM Punk and Brian Danielson, and the odds that they're going to be, like, super interested in coming back and wrestling for WWE, it's not clear that that's ever going to happen again. It certainly wouldn't happen for any extended run. Um, I don't think that WWE can bank on that. So then they've got Roman Reigns. Um, Braun Strowman's a guy who I just don't think has a lot of star power. Um, I, I mean, they booked him so haphazardly. He was never, I mean, he was never over even to the level of Kane 
Uh, you know, like, so I, I think that, uh, I think that Strowman as like a super main attraction comeback star. Oh man, I can't wait to see Braun Strowman wrestle again. I don't think that the juice is in the squeeze for that. I don't necessarily think it's going to be there for Bray Wyatt either. I think he's Bray Wyatt was very much a star within their world at best and like a mid-level star in their world at best, not necessarily like a, a big, Oh, gotta go see this gotta go see Bray Wyatt. He's not going to be Randy Orton. Um, I, I expect Randy Orton to make a lot of money. Um, I expect Kofi Kingston to make a lot of money in his late career. Uh, Kofi Kingston is going to be one of the few people that WWE's got that I think will answer the phone, can be relied on to come back and work something close to a Kofi Kingston-like match, um, even at like in his mid-40s or whatever. So yeah, like to answer the question, Kofi would fit in, Orton would fit in. Um, maybe you see Rey Mysterio have his last retirement oh, match. Jesus. Um, maybe you see, uh, Christian and edge do a tag team again. Um, like, you know, for like one more WrestleMania, but like, I I mean, I think the bigger issue here is star power. Um, which is why if I was pitching NXT and building, I was like, dude, the crisis here is not today. Um, but you have been robbing Peter to pay Paul and it is time to get money for Peter. Uh, because soon Peter's coming over and you need to have some cash. For Novembrino, does he tip in fives or ones at the strip club? Uh, I, I've actually only been to a strip club one time, and it was for my friend's birthday. And uh, it was weird and not my thing. So. Yeah, so there. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. No, I, I'm not trying. And I'm not like, oh, that makes me cool or whatever. I just like. No, I, no, no. Yeah, it's just. No, it's, you know, I, I'll I, tell you, I'm I'll not tell, lording I'll tell you over anyone morally. It's just, it's just not I'll, my thing. I'll, I'll tell you the source of that question. It all will make sense after that. Um, finally, any reckless speculation on if Ronda ever comes back and if you could see any other MMA stars come into wrestling like Amanda Nunez in AEW? I, I could see unsuccessful MMA people go into pro wrestling very easily. Um I think Ronda comes back for a mania. I don't think she comes back full time, but I think she comes back on her terms. She's going to get her payday and then she's not going to want to deal with any of Vince's crap anymore. And she's going to leave and take care of her kid. I don't see Amanda New Year's doing it really. Um, but is there somebody out there who could? Sure. I, I don't, I can't think of who I'd want to, you know, I could see Paige Van Zant going into training like soon. Cause she's getting tired of getting hit in the face. It's the people who don't like MMA who are going to go into pro wrestling because they think it'll be easier. That's what I think. The people who are really good MMA people don't want to deal with the backstage crap of WWE. You know, they might train and go to AEW as a, you know, special attraction, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think, I think, I think Amanda Nunez is going to go retire with her money after this. So, you know, um, any thoughts on Rhonda coming back or any other MMA people? Rhonda, I could see coming back. Uh, MMA people coming in or being enticed to come in. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in league with Jeff's answer here. I could see failed MMAers trying their hand at wrestling. Uh, I can see WWE <clears throat> being interested in courting failed MMAers. I, I mean, the name that probably would be the most likely is a name we haven't even heard yet. Um, maybe there'll be someone who really works his or hers 
MMA career as a way and a vehicle to sort of build buzz for themselves versus actually do a lot of fighting. Um, maybe you pick up somebody from uh, what's that like kind of uh, circus boxing thing that's uh, the the. You know what I'm talking about. Jake Paul does that. And they bought he celebrity bought, boxing type yeah, stuff. Yeah, the Nate Robinson thing. You know, where Nate Robinson bought. Oh, yeah. Ball. Yeah. 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 That thing. Like, I could see people maybe even coming out from that. Like, you know, um, I think WWE will be getting adventurous and trying their hand at um, getting stars to come in. Uh, actually, here's a weird prediction, but like, I could see future WrestleManias be a lot more like celebrities trying their hands at wrestling like not matthew mcconaughey but some dope like in the vein of matthew mcconaughey going i want to have my first wrestling match ever and wwe being like hey at least it'll get people in the house we'll see what happens when you know we let uh you know bad bunny <laughs> right right well, well right especially after the bad bunny experience the hope is maybe we could get some of these guys to have a good match um and I mean, you know, the Bad Bunny thing might be uh, might actually be poisoned in a weird way. The only problem with that is there's always that weird thing where WWE takes celebrities and makes them seem smaller because they put WWE over the actual celebrity. And it's like, no, he's the attraction, not, not you guys type of thing. And it always feels that way in some 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 respect. It's like, why why is this celebrity slumming? to do WrestleMania as opposed to they never, ever, ever, whether it's an inside star or an outside star, want to let the star elevate the brand. They want right. the, yeah, they want the star. They they don't want, they, they, they want, want the brand to elevate him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Her. exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that'll do it for ask us anything. We may do it in a couple more years if we're still around, but, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at crap game 13. You can follow Chris at D W a T G E Nuncy eight Hawkins. Uh, you can follow the show at shake them ropes. All one word. We are part of the voices of wrestling podcasting network. You can also watch us on their YouTube channel, youtube.com slash voices of wrestling. Chris does another podcast as has been mentioned on this show called don't worry about the government. That is where D W a T G comes from. Think of a mnemonic device to remember that. Chris, plug your show. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Fun story about that, Jeff. Um, I came up with that in the same way that Vince Russo comes up with acronyms. I, I started with DWATKA and worked my way backwards. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you can find it at don'tworry.tv on patreon.com slash DWATG on iTunes, on Stitcher. Things have been a little bit wild on the home front this month and on the webpage front this month, but uh, we will be getting settled back in for uh, regular service here starting in August and uh, in September uh, with limited interruptions. So go and check out the show.